All right, Joshua 24. I don't know whether we, we might be one more week in Joshua, but this could be our last message. It is the last chapter, but Joshua 24. You know, my wife and I, we've had the privilege of being part of the Big V Vineyard, which is, when I said Little V would be local, our church. Big V would be the vineyard in the United States, and it's a global movement. In America, there's about 550 vineyard churches uh, that we are a part of, we've been a part of since the early 80s. It's family to us. It's a tribe in the kingdom. You know, the Israel had 12 different tribes. They were all one kingdom. And so in the New Testament, the church, there's different tribes. We have Methodist tribe and the Baptist tribe, and the, but we're all family. We're just different. There's Burger King and McDonald's, and you may like the Burger King fries better than McDonald's, but you like, and then there's Wendy's that comes along, and then there's some tofu drive-by that you got. Anyway, so there's all different fast food, but it's just still burger joints. As long as they're serving the real day, and so as long as the church is honoring Christ, then they're brothers and sisters, even if we have different views. So that said, uh, my wife and I had, you know, went to our national conference uh, uh, this past year, um, can't remember what month were we there. Uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. But we went and uh, we took our whole staff and we were out in Arizona. And we had a new leader installed, Jay Pathick. And I didn't know him very well. And I don't like change. I liked our former national leader a lot. He's a dear friend of my wife and I, Phil and his wife Jan. Actually, they spent several weeks with us this, uh, this winter. And they loved our church. And uh, well, how affirming to have our former national uh, leader that's been all over the world and pretty much every vineyard that's ever, and just say, man, I love this church. And so we just felt so good about that. But we went out to the national conference kind of grumpy because a lot of changes, a lot of restructuring, a lot of people we were used to are no longer in positions of, of leadership. And, and so I kind of had a bad attitude and was grumpy and wasn't sure about this new guy. He's younger. He's not, I like the older veterans. It's like getting on an airplane. You want to hear the pilot go, rrr, 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 gruff voice. And, you know, he can, he's been flying longer than you've been alive. And you want that veteran in that. You don't want that, hi, I've never, I've never, this is my second flight. And I'm so excited to have you on the plane. If we have problems, I hope you can pray. Because I won't know what to do. So I, you don't want that. You want a veteran. You don't want some guy that's, you know. So anyway, so I kind of, I was grumpy. And by the end of the week, you know, the Lord just began to deal with me and, and, and my wife. And, and I, I realized I had some really wrong attitudes and judgmental and critical. And, you know, it can happen to us and when you've been around a long time and familiarity. And so by the time on the Friday when they laid hands on our new national director, Jay Pathak, the Lord had broken us and said, you know, he's your leader, respect him, honor him, and I want you to go all in again. So we had a chance. There was just a handful of people left, and we came up to him. He's like 6'4", he's a 6'3", tall guy, beard, like the beard. And, uh, uh, and, and so he knew of us, but we didn't. But anyway, I just said, Jay, I, I just want to ask you to forgive us for uh, our attitude. And I got about halfway through it, and he stopped me. And he said, let's stop right there. Grace. Grace. And I said, no, I got my speech ready. Don't, don't interrupt me. I'm telling you I'm sorry. And I'm trying to apologize to him. And he just stops me again. He goes, oh, no. Grace, brother, grace. And he said, don't bring that up again. I'm like, all right. And then I looked at him and I said, 
We'll be good soldiers, and we'll be loyal and all in. And I gave him our yes. Well, I didn't know that, you know, maybe a, a couple months later, we restructured, that was part of my grumpiness, we restructured our region from what it was to it enlarged, and we're now the Gulf Coast region instead of Florida, Puerto Rico. So we have all, one of my buddies in Puerto Rico, uh, Marvin, says we should call it the hurricane region instead of Gulf Coast because we're, every state did the hurricane. You can't get to America without going through one of these states with a hurricane, basically. It's all the way around to Texas at 65 churches. So we're on a Zoom call meeting our new leader over our region. He's not the regional leader. He's above that. Uh, and his name's Joel. He's a great guy. And so they're talking about every off year we have our national conference. Then the next year we have a regional, so our new regional. They can't find anywhere to meet. There's no church that can host. Uh, the only one uh, that was up to it had massive tra uh, staff uh, changes in Miami. And, and uh, so we're sitting there with our team in our living room, and I put it on mute, and they're all talking. I looked at the team and said, are you guys up? And they're like, they gave us a thumbs up. And so I raised my hand on the Zoom call, and they said, Jamie, what do you got? And I said, we'll host it. And you could tell they were like, they're looking at renting some facility. It was going to cost thousands of dollars and blah, blah, blah. So we went all in. And so in this July, it's just a few months away, the 19th, 20, and 21st, we'll have several hundred leaders from around the region, and they will host. But if I hadn't given my yes to the Lord and our new national leader, I would have never raised my hand and said, we'll serve and do this. So that yes led to that, and it may lead to some other things as well. But for now, I just want to encourage you that, that you know, we had a chance. So we get a call last week, a uh, week before. We, had, we flew out Monday after Easter, which nobody likes to travel if you're a pastor after Easter. We had a phenomenal weekend, and, but we're exhausted. And so what we had had a call a few days before that inviting us to come to the, 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 the leadership meeting that they have with just the people that are regional leaders, area leaders, missional leaders, and, you know, it's about 100 folks. Uh, and so it was an honor. We don't have a position. I mean, we're pastors, but we don't have an official position in the vineyard. But they invited us to be out, so we scrambled, made reservations, and flew out. And we got to witness our new leader, Jay, and heard his first sermon out. And this is just to the core of the leaders, the influencers in the vineyard. Let me just tell you, he's a rock-solid guy. I mean, we were worried because, you know, sometimes youthful, younger and smart and innovative can also lead to drifting from the core values and being, you know, cutting edge and where, you know, well, let's deconstruct the church and let's remake the gospel and let's redefine Jesus. And, you know, so we had all those apprehensions because there's a handful of vineyards around the, the states that are very vocal that have drifted. They're over here. They're, they're not sure that, that the Bible is without error. They're not sure that God's, when he says his judgment is, is, is coming, or that there'll be a, 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 a place called hell. 
Uh, they're not sure on sexuality issues, and they're waffling on, you know, whether they should marry the same-sex marriages. And, and, you know, I get it that that's where our culture is, and I'm not judging our culture, but that's not what the Word of God teaches in the church. And we're kind to people that have a different sexual lifestyle and, and, and sexual preferences. And, and, but, but on our watch, just because the culture drifts that way doesn't mean the church drifts with the culture. And so we were a little nervous, where's this new... He came out rock solid. He came out with a message the first night on the gospel and that we need to reach people for Jesus. And there's nothing. And he went through the whole list of what it means to be vineyard. And all of them, check. You know, love the lost, check. Preach the gospel, check. Lay hands on the sick, check. Minister in the Holy Spirit, check. Worship in the presence of God, check. I mean, when you went down the list, and I'm like, okay, we're good here. Where we got a leader that's rock solid. He's at the helm. It's kind of like when my dad drove. I would play in the back with my army men and whatever. I never worried about it because my dad was at the wheel. Because I had confidence in him. And I just want to say, and I know it doesn't necessarily matter to you, but, but it, it, we left there with this deep sense of, wow, this is the right person for the right time to lead our movement into the next season so that my grandchildren and your grandchildren, if you are vineyard people, that there's a, there's a future and a hope beyond us going into the next season. So that in mind, I want to talk to you this morning about giving Jesus your yes. And so Joshua 24, this is near the end of his life. He's 110 years old. He's an old warrior. He's a veteran. They probably carried him to wherever he stood to give this last words. This is his message to the people that he's led, uh, that he's walked through the, 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 from Egypt to the wilderness. Now they've been hacking away, defeated Jericho, and they've been hacking away against all the enemies against the people of God, claiming the country, claiming the promised land, and they're settling, and then he's going to bring them back to God in a new way. And so chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. You know, this is, this is what leaders need to do on a regular basis. This is what you and I need to do. You may have given Jesus your yes 30 years ago, but that yes can become pretty stagnant and stale. And these people, he's going to re-up. He's going to give them a, an opportunity to recommit, to re-up. They're all in to following the Lord. And they presented themselves before God. Now, verse 2, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. So God's speaking through him. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river. That's the, the uh, uh, Euphrates. That's where you would, would cross it to go into what's now Iraq. And, and you know, th this was, think of it spiritually as a geography of darkness. That this is a land of, of darkness that they get God brings the beginnings of Israel brings them out through Abraham. Verse 3, But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river, led him throughout Canaan, gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, 
And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir and Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses. So he's going to go through this. I sent, I gave, I brought Moses and the people out of Israel. I brought you to the land of promise in verse 8. I gave you uh, the, 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 the land that you're now in in verse 11. Then you cross the Jordan. So he's kind of given this broad, sweeping reminder of how God has got us to this point. So before he gets to what he wants to ask them, he's just reminding them of how good God's been, how powerful God's been, how you didn't get here because you were smart. You didn't make it here because you were good. You didn't overcome because you're strong. It's like God, God, God. It's his grace. In fact, so much so that he tells them in uh, 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 verse 11, then you crossed over the Jordan, you came to Jericho, and the, the citizens or the leaders, the masters of Jericho, fought against you, as did the Amorites. These are the other, after Jericho, they fought the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites. The Je- it's not good to be an ite. Whatever an ite is, you don't want to be good. It's it just don't ever, you don't want ite at the end of your name. I'm a Stilsonite. No, 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 no. No, just Stilson. So all these ites, and God says at the end of verse 11, but I gave them into your hands. Verse 12, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Listen, some people argue, well, that wasn't literally hornets. Uh, You know, it was a God kind of sent a plague of anxiety and fear. And I kind of think it's both. I always, whenever arguments, people go, I try to find where can it be both. And I don't have a problem with God using insects in his kingdom. I remember one time I was up in Georgia. We used to have a cabin up there. And I was raking leaves. And I, was, I kept feeling this limb bumping my back, but I didn't pay any attention to it. I just kept raking and bumping. Well, I didn't know it was about a, a foot-big hornet's nest. Now, I've had yellow jackets, and they're mean, but hornets are another level. They came at me. I'm swiping. I rolled three times on the hill, trying to go down away from them, then back up the hill. They're biting me. I knock my glasses off. I'm just a mess. I finally get in the door. My wife's blare. I'm screaming for help. She's listening to worship music. She's lost in Jesus. I kind of collapse in the door, and she's like, are you okay? Those, I was... I got up the next day on a mission. I'm going to kill the hornets. We're going, you're not going to win. I got my work gloves out and I put one on and there was one waiting in there and it bit me. I'd like to say, I said, praise the Lord, but bad words came out of my mouth. Now I'm really on a mission. They're going to die today. And they did. God could use anything he wants what, what, what Joshua's trying to get him to know is that it's all grace. You, you didn't get here on your own. That's important. We'll get to it. It's the living God that got him here. In fact, he reiterates in, in verse uh, 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 12, he says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. And it doesn't mean they didn't fight and shoot arrows. But it wasn't in their own abilities that they won. They participated in obedience and following the Lord, but they won because God gave them the victory. Now, he's going to come to idols in a minute. He's trying to show them, you didn't get where you are by idols. You got where you are by the living God. Now, verse 14. 
I'm sorry, verse 13. I gave you a land on which you did not toil, cities you did not build. You live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. This is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is that we inherit things that we don't deserve, we didn't earn, and yet God gives them to us. There are people behind us that have sacrificed for us to get where we are. I'm grateful for that in our country. I'm grateful for those that have fought for our freedoms and the natural in this country, but I'm also grateful for those spiritually that I've had the chance to stand on their shoulders. John Wimber, who founded the vineyard, I, I stand on his shoulders. He trained a, 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 a cocky, uh, a judgmental, critical preacher uh, how to have mercy. And, and he, he gave me a model of the kingdom of God that was so much more effective. And, and I, I, I still preach the same gospel I did, but I don't do it as though God's mad at people. Because the gospel is God loves you, not I'm mad at you. And, you know, who wants to come crawl up in the lap of someone that you know is angry at you? I mean, it, it, God is kind and loving. And I, I worked hard at making the good news bad news. That's a lot of work. Some pastors are good at that. They made the good news bad news by turning God into this mean, angry, going to get you God. And that's, on, that's, it's just not the, that's not who Jesus revealed God to be. And so I stand on the shoulders of those that, that I inherited things in the kingdom. This building didn't just get here. We didn't just parachute in. Whoa, look, chairs, sound systems, walls, built, stage. This, this, this is blood, sweat, and tears. This is, this is 25 years of labor. And people have died that gave themselves to see this place come and sacrifice financially and have worked and, and, and our team. And, and I, we're just grateful because it's grace. God gave me a word when I moved to Cape Curl because my daddy was a, a contractor. And I didn't inherit any skills in construction. I'm pretty good at tearing stuff down, you know. As I told you my jackhammer story here, you know. And my pinched nerve is finally coming back, feelings in the hand. And uh, I'm not built to run a jackhammer anymore. So uh, that I, I know. But that's my skill set. I can tear stuff up. But, it, my, but my dad, as a builder, as a contractor, I knew the stress involved in building and it's probably one of the most stressful uh, positions in life is construction. And if it was bad then, it's horrible now. I mean, it's, it's tough getting materials, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but the Lord said to me when we moved to Cape Coral to start a church, he said, you will inherit and enter into another person's labor. And, and he knew in the context, it's a verse in, in John that spiritually applies, but it also physically, God said, you're not going to build a building. I just knew. And, and I have a friend that, that bought 40 lots over like 10 years in Cape Coral to build Cape Christian Fellowship. Great church. 40 lots one at a time. If God would have given me that assignment, I'd have just gone ahead and put myself in a straitjacket and put myself on medication because I couldn't do it. He's a Mennonite background, plotter, farmer. One of the last lots was sold to him. The guy was dying on his deathbed. And he kind of said, you know, you can, go to, you can go meet God before you sign this or you can not sign it. And I said, dude, you, you, I mean, he said, well, he signed it. And so he was signing over, buying, and, and they built a phenomenal church, one of the great churches in Cape Coral. I couldn't live through that. 
I'm just not wired. And so God gave, I, we inherited a building that veterans fought over, uh, and, and, and this is what used to be the American Legion building, but it was in foreclosure uh, when we bought it. Point being, none of us get to where we are without people behind us that sacrifice. We stand on their shoulders. Now, so Joshua, in this message, he's humbled them and said, hey, we've won, but it's only God. And let's have some humility here. Now here's his conclusion, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers that they served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. We'll come back to the end of the verse in a minute. So he sums up this, this, this promise of God and his goodness and, and, and grace, and, and he says, now, I, I want to I remind you that we're called to serve the living God. Service isn't, isn't like slavery. It's a surrendered love. It's a worship that says, I'm all yours. It's, he's, Joshua's saying, would you give God your yes again? Now, to do that means you say no to idols. Now, let me just say on the front end here, we're pretty discerning people in America. I'm not saying there aren't people in America that have literal outward idols they worship. There's some people around that, that practice santeria. Santeria is idol worship. It's mysticism. It's spiritual. It's like witchcraft mixed with Catholicism. And they make, you know, they can do curses and they can make, it's, it, you know, it, it just not, it's not holy. That stuff's easy to recognize. We're far too sophisticated to have idols like that, most of us. Most of our idols are very dignified idols. I mean, they're, they're inner idols. They're idols of the heart. And, and, and in, the, in, the, in the church today, the danger for leaders, and this is what my concern was, is that there are vineyards that have drifted over here in so wanting to be so contemporary, so culturally relevant, so welcoming to the community, so kind, so they're out loving God. When you feel like you're loving people more than God does, you might be in deception. And they come over here and they drift from biblical theology and they create a theology that's more acceptable to others. They literally develop a Jesus that's a different Jesus than the Bible presents. Let me just give you a few con contemporary examples. For example, in the area of abortion, there are Christians. Now, I'm not talking about judging the world. I'm not hating people of the world that have brokenness and bad lifestyles and bad choices and idol worship. I'm talking about in the church, that they feel that it's God's so kind and he gives us the right to choose. That's true. It's a beautiful thing to have freedom of choice, but it's a terrible responsibility. And so we have a culture that feels like it's my body. It belongs to me. I can do whatever I want with the body inside of me. And they make horrible choices that you can never defend with the Word of God. And then you have others that drift in sexuality, human and the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't have a hiccup. It doesn't have a, oh, I don't know. It doesn't have an uncertainty. There's no confusion. God's not confused. He's not sexually broken. He's not trying to figure out, how do I identify myself? 
God says, I made a man and a woman, that's marriage for life. Now, I get it. We have divorce. We have adultery. We have brokenness in homes. We have pornography that floods in. Then we have the whole perversion of I'm this. I identify as this. I identify as that. I identify as this. But none of that is how the scriptures tell us where to live our lives. And so if you give your yes to Jesus, you have to give your no to culture, to the idols of the culture that says, hey, I can do what I want to do. If I love somebody, don't tell me who I can love. The Bible doesn't so much tell you who you can love. It tells you who you can sleep with. If you're married, you sleep with your wife. If you're not married, you don't sleep with anybody. Let's start there. So that, well, you know, in our circumstance. And you know, God didn't say your circumstance. He just said one man, one woman for life. Now, you come to God in your brokenness and you broken marriages. and There's mercy and grace and forgiveness. But don't develop an idol that says, you know, God's so loving. He's so kind. Doesn't, he kind of looks the other way. He leaves it to you to figure it out. Let's let the eight-year-old boy figure out whether he's a boy or girl. If he can't figure it out, let's give him some medicine to help him de- de- define himself who he wants to be. We live in a culture that doctors and their brilliance are bypassing parents to teach a child you can be whatever you... I wanted to be a rhinoceros when I was in fifth grade. I called myself rhino. You want to give me medicine to grow a horn? Eight-year-olds are idiots. You can't, they're picking their nose, eating their boogers. You can't let, you're going to let them decide their destiny sexually because they watch some TV pervert? No. So I'm just saying. Master, not everybody's going to like that. I'm not running for office here. I'm not, I'm not politic and neither was Jesus. I'm not trying to be harsh and condescending. I want to be kind to the broken, but I can still hold to my standards. I can be welcoming to those that are coming from a different background, a different orientation. I can love them, but without without condoning a behavior that the Bible says wrong. It's like condoning pornography. It'll ruin your soul. I had it almost ruined mine. So you want to say, I just identify as as a lust bucket pornographer. That's just what I, God understands. He understands it'll kill your soul. It'll ruin your marriage. Stop it. God says, lay the idols down. If you say yes to Jesus, you say no to the culture. He's saying, okay, you got a couple picks here. You could pick the gods of your family history and your generations of your family where they've had strongholds and idols, and you can live by those. You can live by the new gods, the Amorite gods, the, the modern gods, the new age gods, the God loves everybody and doesn't care how you live God, and there's many paths to heaven God, and it doesn't, Jesus isn't the only way God, and there's just, oh, let me just design my own religion because I'm an American and I'm independent and don't tell me what to do. That's fine. God gives you that horrible responsibility to make the right choice. It's a horrible responsibility. I would, God, just would you just make it for all of us? No, because he wants love to lead the way. Joshua says, listen, you're going to have to choose. It's not about being neutral. Neutral is an, it's its own idol. It's the idol of those that are neutral followers. We're all just neutral. Basically, I'm God. 
I'll do what I want to do and don't tell me what to do. I'll decide who's right and who's wrong. I'll listen to the Hollywood stars tell me. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine we're being led by a group of people that are some of the most broken people on the planet? They'll spend hours talking about one of them slapping the other one. Hours. I don't care. Put, let them fight it out. Put gloves on. You're a broken mess. Your life's a mess. Your marriages are a mess. You're broken people. And you're going to, oh, I just want to be an example. You're a horrible example. Forget about slapping. It's not that we make idols out of people. Sports stars are going to tell us how to live. It's just broken people. God forbid we talk about politics for a while. Ooh, don't go there, Jamie. Ooh, I got a, I got a thing in the lawn. I got a bumper sticker. Come on, I love blah, blah, blah. Glad you do. But do you love Jesus more than you love blah, blah, blah? Oh, it's both are the same. No, they're not. No matter what party you are, both parties are corrupt. Both parties are broken. Both parties are flawed. And if you think either party's going to bring the kingdom of God, you're an idol worshiper. You think your political party can change somebody's heart and your Facebook rants about your political party are going to change us, are going to change the world. Have your convictions. Vote your votes. Campaign your campaigns. But in this church, we're the kingdom of God people. You lay that stuff at the feet of Jesus. I have my views. I have my political. There's nothing evil about having political opinions and disagreeing with policies and issues. But when you let that define you as your number one driving force and who you're going to relate to, who you're going to love, who you're going to go to church with, I don't want a church filled with a bunch of Republicans only. I want Democrats. I want Libertarians. I want those that don't even know who they are. I want everybody that goes to Walmart to come to the vineyard. If you can shop at Walmart, you can come to the vineyard. Even dressing like some people do in Walmart. Pull your pants up, buddy. Pull your pants up. Don't need to see that. That about ruined my meal right there. About stop grocery shopping. Pull the pants up. So when you say yes to Jesus, it's, it's, it, there's consequences to it that mean now it's not what Jamie wants. C.S. Lewis, the, the f famous uh, philosopher, Christian philosopher, we, we went through his book, the, the, the Great Divorce, which was a phenomenal read. Some of you challenged you a little much, and uh, it's, 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 it's deep thinking. But, but he says this, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's those people that say to God, my will be done. They tell God. In whatever way, shape, or form, by their passive resistance or active disobedience, they say, God, I don't care what your will is. I'm going to do what I want to do the way I want to do it. I'm an American. I'm an independent person. I've got the right. I've got my rights. I'm going to choose to do what I want to do, and nobody can tell me how to do my life. I'm in charge. So you're your own God. So you bow down and worship yourself. And so then the other type of people are people that say to God in submission, Father, your will be done in my life. I don't want Jamie. I've seen my will. It's nasty. My will is broken, selfish. My will is angry, judgmental, prideful, isolated, uncaring. That's what, if God left me alone, you think I'd be up here preaching 
If God be, left me alone, I'd be on some property somewhere with a shotgun, firing it off, telling people to get that off my property. But we happened to have a leader in the vineyard that said, you know, Jesus didn't die for clean air and trees. And I love the environment. It wasn't an anti-environment. It was a pro-people. I care about dogs, but they're not people. I care about people first. People and animals are different. It doesn't mean we don't steward the environment and steward our, our, our community. I love my dog. But that's about saying yes to Jesus, he's got a different way of orienting us to the world. He's got a different view of how to treat enemies. He's got a different view of how to treat those that have a different opinion. In the vineyard that we're part of, there are vineyard leaders that politically are on a whole other page than what I'm on. And one particular leader is way smarter than me, way more godly than I'll ever think about being, and in the largest church in the vineyard. But he and I do not see eye to eye on political things. Oh, well, we see eye to eye on Jesus. And we're not going to let that come between us. We refuse to let that happen. Now, if he starts saying there's another way to get to heaven, that's a different deal. That's not like, let's all just get along. Let's all just sing Kumbaya, my Lord. And it doesn't matter what we believe. It does matter what we believe. We have a gospel. When I sat up there and listened to our new national director preach the gospel, did I already go down that list? No, thank you. I can't remember between this service and last, but thank you. For, you said that a little too fast, so let me go through that list again. He, he said, we're people that preach the good news, that call people to a new life. He said, if you're not baptizing people in your church, something's wrong. We don't just do nice things to be nice to people. We do nice things to see people come to Jesus. We do nice things because Jesus has made us to be nice people, not because I'm nice on my own. He said, preach the gospel. Are you preaching? The and I, I went through the list praying, praying for the sick. We pray for the sick. Is it easy? No, it's messy. Does everybody get healed? No. Do we make people feel bad that don't get healed? No, but it's part of being vineyard. We pray for the sick. We care for the poor. Is that easy? No. Is it fun? Not all the time. It, but it's, it's sacrifice. God, at least we can give back. And they go to the list, and I say, yes, Jesus. And so I sit there, sat there and just said yes all over again. Now, here's how Joshua ends the sermon. Well, he goes on and kind of unpacks the ending, but I'll just go to the ending, last of verse 15. But as for me, I can't speak for you, but as for me, you can choose the gods of your ancestors. You can choose the gods of the modern day. But as for me, 110 years, as for me, he's going to give his yes back to Jesus, to the God that brought him to this point. But as for me and my house, my household. Now listen to me, I, I can't, especially now when my children were young, I could say, and we did say, and it wasn't a debate. It wasn't a debate in our home. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, honey, if you don't feel like going to church, just stay in bed. Get your ear and out of bed, you're going to get a cup of cold water on your head. We'll say, well, that's making them go to church. Sure did, made them go to school too. That's what's hypocritical parents. I don't want to force my faith on my children. That's what's wrong with them. You're not forcing it. Live something that would be appealing enough that they'd want to be like you. I didn't leave it to my kids whether they wanted to go to school or not. Get up. 
You're going to my dad. I'm just, you know, I'm taking a day off. No, you're not. Listen, we've got a culture that have let children take the leadership in the home. And they'll tell the parents what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. You're going to live in my home? You're like my buddy's dad. He tried to tell his dad what he was going to do and not do. And they got into it. My, my buddy was big at the time of high school. His dad was kind of scrawny, and they got into it. I mean, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they're going to start swinging any minute. And the dad says, you want to have it out right now? And the son, his name was Rodney, Rodney says, yeah, I'll have it out right now. And the dad says, all right, you step outside. And he stepped outside, and right behind him, that door slammed, lock, lock, lock. <laughs> three days, three days, he was locked out of his house. He begged his dad, Dad, I don't have any clothes. I don't care. When he came back in, it was a little humbler. I remember hearing Tony Evans preach one time, and he said his teenage boy decided he had enough living under his roof. He said, all right, son, you going to go? Let's go. Oh, before you go out that door, give me those car keys. What do you mean? That's my car. Oh, and by the way, hand me your credit card because that's my credit card. But, Dad, how am I going to, how am I going to, oh, and by the way, you take those shoes off right now because I bought those shoes. But, but, Dad, I got no shoes to wear. And take the pants off, too. You're not walking out this door with anything that belongs to me. He said, Dad, how am I going to survive? You should have thought about that before you decided you were going to go live somewhere else on your own. It's expensive to live on your own. So Jesus said the same way. You want to go out? He said to his disciples, you want to walk away? Okay. Peter said, where are we going to go? Good question, Peter. There's nowhere else to go. Should have thought about that before you said you're going to walk away. You're going to walk away to your gods that are fake, false, that can't lift a finger to help you. You need a living God that's there, but you've got to give him your yes. Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. I'm going to just tell you something. I've had to give God my yes over and over again. It's not like I gave him my yes back in 1975 and I got water baptized. I didn't just baptize my right leg, by the way. Let's just put the right leg in. I'm giving Jesus my right leg. No, put both legs in. Well, you mean he wants both feet and toe? Yeah, put them both in. And we're going to lay you back. I mean, well, I don't want to get my hair, you know. I guess get my hair wet. And, and that water is kind of nasty. There's been other people baptized in that water. You ever think about that if you're OCD? Come on, you think about that. I want to go first. <laughs> Excuse me. I showered. I'm going first. I'm going to make a judgment call, and that other person didn't shower this morning. But I'm going to tell you that you'll never find holier water than water baptism. And you don't baptize half your body. You go down and every part of me came up, belonged to Jesus. It's, this is his brain. This is his imagination. These are his eyes, his mouth. And when I say things that dishonor him, he holds me accountable. I gave him my yes, but I've had to give him my yes over and over and over again in my walk with him. And you have to, or you'll stop raising your hand, saying, I'm all in. How can we help? Some of you in church life, your yes has become stale and stagnant. And you just rely on other people to do it all. And, you know, you used to do it. I used to do it. Did you graduate? Did you get your degree in serving? Now you're above it? 
Oh, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and nobody really recognized me, and they don't really need me. When you give God your yes, then God's going to ask you to raise your hand and volunteer. It's going to cost this church that I raised my hand, my wife and I, and said, we'll host. Because you know what? Our staff's going to do a lot more work than we will. And we volunteered, and our volunteers are going to do a lot of work. And they're going to work really hard. Why? Because it's family. Because we gave God our yes. And we gave the vineyard our yes. And you say, well, the vineyard isn't God. No, it's not. But it's our expression of my yes to God is carried out in his family of being who God's called us to be. So when you give God your yes, and you say, God, you own my life sexually, then it's not about your prerogatives and your preferences. You better find out what God likes. I gave my mother flowers for years. Mother's Day, Valentine's Day. I gave her, one day she finally looked at me and she said, Jamie, can I just tell you, I, I don't like flowers that are cut. They smell bad. Now, she loved real flowers, but she could I said, Mom, why didn't you tell me? I've spent hundreds of dollars on flowers, and you don't even like flowers. You can keep giving them to her. And she, as soon as we drove out the door, whoosh, she threw them out because she didn't like the smell of them in her house. I get it. It can smell like formaldehyde or something. It's something nasty. Mind you, of a funeral home. I mean, some of them do. And I learned to give my mom stuff that she wanted. You can give God what you think he wants. Or you can ask God what he wants. You can think, well, God wants me to give him this. Because you want to give him this. Maybe that's not what he likes. Why don't you ask him? You mean I can ask? Yeah. Ask him who you're supposed to be in a relationship with. Ask him where you're supposed to be working. Ask him if you're supposed to be in this church. I told somebody in the last service, maybe this isn't a church for you. They've been here a long time. Maybe it's not a good fit anymore. I can't be what you want me to be. So you got to figure it out because I ain't changing. We're vineyard. Have I gone over that message with you yet? We preach the gospel. We pray for the sick. We care for the poor. We worship in the spirit. But we're not political. I'm not going to join your cause. I bless your cause. That's your cause. Don't make your cause our cause. And it can be a good cause. Some people try to shove missionaries down our throat and say, you've got to have a, make room for them. You've got to open the building and let us have a meeting and raise. So I said, that's not who we're called to support. We bless them. It's not our cause. Because I didn't agree with them, they left the church. I can't accommodate everybody's desires and passions and visions and we should be involved in this. We're going to stay in our lane. And if God says expand the lane, we'll expand it. But we're going to stay in the lane. Did I have a gone through the list with you? We preach the good news. We want to see people come to Jesus and get baptized. We pray for the sick because we want people to know God cares and can help them. We feed the poor because God's been kind to us. We worship in the Spirit, want people to engage with God. We honor His Word and we preach His message. That's who the vineyard is. And that's who they're going to stay. There may be different titles and different nuances, and, but it's gonna, it, it, that's who God's called us to be. So have you given him your yes? Choose you. Joshua said, for me, I'm so grateful to be married to a woman that when we married, we said to each other, as for us and our house. Well, see, it wasn't me telling her, and it wasn't her telling me. It was us 
in agreement that we're going to build our house on Jesus. We're going to raise our kids with Jesus. We didn't do everything right. We, we messed up all kinds of, but it wasn't because we weren't trying to give God our yes. We still fail. We still break things. We still do things stupid. And you back up and repent. But our intention has never changed. And this church, under our leadership, it'll never change. As for us and this house, we're going to serve the Lord. Not the God of the community, not the God of the culture, not the God of the popular, the people that are deconstructing faith, not the God of the, 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 the liberal, I can just live however I want to live, and Jesus is so kind, and, and A.W. Tozer called it an opiate for the conscience of millions of people. This concept that God is so loving that he just embraces whatever lifestyle I pick. God is so merciful that he doesn't care how I live. Opioids are killing people in America. Fentanyl coming over our border. But there's a worse fentanyl that's in churches that are telling people just kind of figure out what you like and don't like. Do what you want to do. Don't do what you don't want to do. Let's don't offend anybody. How do you not offend? The gospel's offensive. That's why when he said in in verse 15, if it seems, what's the word that he uses? If it seems serving God is undesirable, why would it be undesirable to serve God? Because he messes with your business. He wants your wallet. It's mine. I work for it. Okay. Have it your way. Remember, God will say, Your will be done if you want it, your will. God messes with your relationships. He messes with your TV viewing. He messes with your politics, with your attitudes. He messes with your mouth. He messes with what you look at on the Internet. Whose business is it? His, if you said yes. You choose. It's not a choice of neutrality or compromise. It's a choice of he's Lord or he's not. It's a choice of I surrender or I'm in charge. And now that's the whole Christian life. And it's not easy. Because we're bound every day. We're attacked with choices that try to get us to say yes to this and no to Jesus. We think we can do both. But you can't. That's deception. You can't. Say yes to the things that displease Jesus that he died on the cross to forgive us of. You can't live in those and tell him yes. When I said yes to my wife at 1978, that meant there's never going to be another woman ever to take her place, to get in our circle. Now, any times of compromise in your heart or mind, is breaking that vow I made to her. I said yes to her, which means I said no to every other woman I'll ever meet. So that yes cost, but oh, what a wonderful benefit. You want to settle for that or get what you got? I'm going to go with what I got. When you got filet mignon, you just enjoy what God's given you, and you thank God for who. And listen, when I said yes to Jesus, it closed every door that calls me to come in, to walk in a way that displeases him. And I don't have an option. I don't have to pray about it. I don't know. We'll pray about whether God wants us to do it. Not when the Bible clearly says don't do it. 
It's not about prayer. It's not about negotiating. It's about obedience. And that's not easy. So if it seems, if it seems difficult, it is. Joshua's not saying it's not hard. It's really hard. He's going to go on to say at the end of the chapter, you made a commitment to follow God. I don't believe you can hold to it. He challenges them because you can't do it in your own power. You can't do it in your own strength. He challenges the people. You say you're going to be faithful to God. I think you're going to go back after idols. And what he's saying is it's not that they can't make a commitment, but you have to make the commitment and knowing that, God, I'm going to need your grace to walk out this yes I gave you. Just because I said yes doesn't mean I've got the power and the ability and the want to to do everything he wants me to. It's a battle inside Jamie. I just think of myself as Jericho and you as Jericho, standing in the way of God. And God had to march around me seven times and knock the walls down in my heart. It's a resistance in me that's, that there's in my flesh is no good thing. In my flesh, if I don't, if just leave Jamie alone, I'll drift away from Jesus. You never drift closer to Jesus. So people quit coming to church. They quit reading their Bible. They quit praying. You don't drift into a place of surrender and intimacy with Jesus where you're giving him your yes. You drift into idols. You drift into the arms of false lovers. You drift into lies and deception. You you drift into darkness. It takes God. I've got to give you my yes again and get back on the path. Have you given him your yes? I hope so. Not, yeah, I gave it to him. I told my wife I loved her when we got married. I've never told her since. I'm going to put money on your marriage lasting. You better tell her every day you love her. You better tell your wife every day something about her is beautiful. Every day. You better thank God for who you have. Every day. There's battles to be fought, folks. When you say yes, you put a flag in the ground. And so you don't have to put a campaign poster in your yard. You don't have to put the Ten Commandments. You don't have to put a cross. You just stand for Jesus and put that spiritual flag in the ground that says, my home stands for Jesus. That means it's going to be kind and loving and humble. That means it's going to resist evil and prejudice and darkness. That means my home is not going to be condemning to those that don't know Jesus yet. My home's a safe place. My home's a holy place. Darkness is not welcome, but anything else is welcome. Darkness is not welcome in this church. We're a welcoming church. But if darkness tries to poke its head in, it will be driven out. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than giving Jesus your yes. Maybe you've you've just never done that. Maybe you've been a churchgoer or not, but you've never had a personal relationship with him. But you can establish that this morning by giving him your yes. Just by saying, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. I give you my yes. It's a surrender. It's I don't want any other gods, no rivals, no other, no other allegiance, family, friends, politics, hobbies, work. Nothing competes with our allegiance to Jesus. He is Lord. When I say yes, 
he'll begin to implement his kingdom in your life. And it's not always easy. But he'll give you the grace. He'll give you the peace. He'll give you the joy. Now, many of you have given him your yes a long time ago. But it's become a stale yes. There's no passion in it. There's no freshness in it. You can't think of the last time that you resisted and, and yielded something up to the Lord that wasn't pleasing him. You can't think of the last time you just in gratitude worshipped him for how good he is to you. You can't remember the last time that you defied your flesh and your sin to humble yourself in his sight. Give him your yes again today. Come Holy Spirit. Empower us to not only give him our yes, but to follow him as he leads us. Lord, bless this time of commitment in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together. And I'm just going to give an opportunity that we do this on a regular basis in this church. There's something about publicly giving him your yes. You know, when I got married, I didn't say I want everybody's head down and nobody looking around. I'm like, look up. Look who's coming in. It's my bride. I want you to see it. I wouldn't. Can you imagine? You say, I don't want anybody to know I'm getting married. Imagine telling your, your fiance, I don't want to invite anybody to church. I don't want anybody to see us. I'll marry you in secret. If you married that person, you're dumber than he is. <laughs> if you're ashamed of me, then I'm not going to commit to you. Well, Jesus said the same thing. It, Christianity is to be personal, but not private. There's a big difference. Personal is real. It's, 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 it's in my heart. But it's not hidden and private that I don't want anybody to know that I've given Jesus my yes. I wear a wedding ring. I know you don't have to wear one to be married. But I want people to know I've given my wife my yes. Well, when I get baptized, that's telling everybody I gave Jesus my yes. So if you're here this morning and you've not publicly given him your yes, I'm going to just invite you to lift your hand. If you're online and you haven't done it, text us. Say, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. If you've not done that, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. Just lift your hand. Let me recognize you and just say, I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. Yes, ma'am. I say yes to Jesus as my Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. We ring that bell to celebrate with the Father. Of him saying, welcome home. Yes, ma'am. Good for you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, sir. Come on. Come on. Anyone else? You know, I love to see children come to Jesus. But you know, percentage-wise... When you get past the teens, the, the, the chances of coming to Jesus diminish greatly. And the older you get. And we just had some people that really broke that. And I say, yeah, Jesus, come on. Anyone else? This is your day. Go public. I say, it's a big deal. The devil will say, oh, that was no big deal. It's a huge deal. It's like people that say, I don't need a, a piece of paper to say I'm married. Oh, if it's no big deal, then why don't you get one? Oh, because it's a commitment. Oh, there you go. What do we have for him, Johnny? We have reality. It's a commitment. 
It's not just a piece of paper. It's a life commitment. It's a big deal. And what's saying yes to Jesus, the enemy said, because he, he wants to minimize what God just did in you. That's a big deal. And we celebrate with you. Anyone else? We're going to sing this last song. Let's worship. Let me.